So this morning we're going to continue our, uh, our look through various important prayers in the Bible and drawing out what we can uh, and how it should affect our prayer life, both corporately but also uh, individually. So uh, this morning, uh, please turn with me to Acts 4, 23 to 31. Here we are. So the NIV entitles this, The Believer's Prayer. So on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant to your father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the Anointed One. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles with miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. All is well with the world. Equilibrium has been restored. The last two weeks has been pretty disconcerting. It's caused arguments, it's divided households. The newspapers have run with pretty much nothing else. But then last night, Gary Lineker returned to the television. A match of the day. Was once again back in his rightful place. Everything is normal. The story of Gary Lineker's suspension, I think, raises some interesting questions. For those of you who have been hiding for the last two weeks or who don't follow the soccer ball game, let me give you a little bit of background. So Gary Lineker is one of England's greatest ever strikers. He's our best loved and longest running football presenter. He's a player who was renowned for fairness. Uh, he didn't get any yellow cards, he didn't get any red cards in a 16 year playing career for the mighty Leicester or England. He's also a social commentator. He engages in some of the big issues of the day doing so one 140-character tweet at a time. Now, he's been speaking out on issues for many years, most notably uh, human rights issues in Qatar, uh, issues related to refugees, and whether you agree with him or not, and I'm not going to go into the politics of it, he's someone who is prepared to speak, and he's prepared to act on what he believes. He called out in support of refugees and then took refugees to live in his house. 
So as anyone who's turned on the news in the last fortnight will know, Lineker's position brought him into a point of conflict and dispute with the BBC and to some extent with the government, who were all desperately keen to distance themselves as the week went through. He was contractually obliged to present an apolitical position. The BBC are in a really difficult position. The accusations of bias from both the left wing and the right wing, they're frankly an easy target. And yet he's got things that he really passionately believes in. They're perfectly legal for him to say, but they are political. So he's faced criticism for speaking on subjects that are out of his lane. He's accused of being untrained and unlearned. But he's garnered significant support from the other sports journalists. And anyone that watched Match of the Day last weekend would have seen about 20 minutes and silence. And it was frankly quite difficult to watch. So when is it right to speak out? Should we ever allow ourselves to be silenced? Should we only speak to those people who are willing to listen to us? And how can we speak with confidence? So let's turn to Acts 4 and, and look a little bit of context. So the cliche about going through an emotional roller coaster is actually quite apt for the early church. Peter and John had walked with Jesus, and just a couple of months prior to this prayer, they'd seen him arrested, rejected, and then executed. Peter's faith had been tested. Three times he stood at a temple gate and denied being a follower of Jesus, and then the rooster crowed. And then three days later, Jesus conquered death. He appeared to one, then another, and then a multitude. He was teaching, he was healing, he was proclaiming the kingdom, and then he was raised to heaven. And the Holy Spirit descended on the believers. The Holy Spirit descended on the believers, giving them strength to take forward the Great Commission crowds were coming to know the risen Lord and the religious and political authorities of the days, they were not best pleased. They'd hoped that the Jesus movement would have died on that cross. And that's really where it started. So a short time after Pentecost, Peter and John were heading to the temple for afternoon prayers. They were born again in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, but they hadn't cut themselves off from the rest of the people. And again, standing at that temple gate, maybe the same temple gate where he denied Jesus three times, Peter saw a crippled beggar. We don't know a lot about this beggar. We know that he had uh, some sort of uh, congenital uh, condition, so he was uh, crippled from birth. And he says later that he was about 40 years old, so he's been best part of four decades sitting at this temple gate. Maybe he was there when Peter initially denied being a follower of Jesus. All we do know is he, he sat there and begged for charity. You can imagine that many of the people that passed would have been religious folk. Some would have given really generously. Others would have pretended to see someone they knew in the distance and just walked past and ignored him. 
and others probably would have looked around to see who was looking at them first before giving a donation that corresponded with the reputation they would get if people saw them. Peter and John saw the man. They saw his needs, not his want. They didn't offer him gold and silver. Instead, Peter just pronounced, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. With that, he reached down with his hand and he helped the man up. And as he did that, Jesus granted complete and immediate healing. The man jumped in the air and worshipped God. And the crowd of witnesses celebrated this miracle. That's where the story ends. The crowd celebrated the miracle and Peter thought, crowd, and he preached. He took that opportunity. Now the religious uh, and the political hierarchy, the Sadducees, the leaders of the Sanhedrin the court were affronted by Peter's teaching. This was a threat to their religious and their political authority. The Romans allowed them to run Jerusalem as long as they kept the crowds down and the, the rabble was, uh, uh, was suppressed. Any sort of large crowd, particularly one shouting for a new kingdom, is something that the Romans uh, would have been very unhappy about. So the Sanhedrin sent the, the guards and they arrested Peter and John and they threw them in jail. Peter's teaching was stopped at the temple as he was led away. And yet a very large number of people came to believe the gospel that they had that day. The Sadducees could arrest the apostles, but they could not arrest the gospel. So before the court the next day, Peter and John were asked, by what power or name did you heal that cripple? The apostles were fearless. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter responded to the legal challenge, delivering gospel truth. Healing comes through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was rejected and killed before being raised to life, and through whom salvation is found. Peter had seen his master tried before a similar court, and he'd seen the outcome of that on that wooden cross. Just a couple of weeks later, a really fresh moment. But with the Holy Spirit, he had the boldness. The Greek word is parisia, we'll come back to that in a minute. He had the boldness to speak the gospel, even to the most hostile of leaders. When the court saw Peter and John's courage, and knowing that the healing miracle was real, they were astounded. Aren't these untrained, unlearned men? Acts records, they were astonished and took note that these men were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. Even to stop the spread of the gospel, the Sanhedrin ordered Peter and John never again to speak in his name. They couldn't even say the name Jesus. They just said, that's in his name ever again. They were effectively giving Peter and John one last warning. We'll let you go this time, 
Don't go back. You need to stay in your lane, Peter. But the apostles responded rhetorically, is it right to obey man or obey God? They didn't wait for the response. They just said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. For them, it wasn't a choice. We cannot help speaking about it. It's in us and it needs to come out. Hmm. What did they do when they were released from this court that they spent the night in jail? Did they run away? Did they go and hide? Did they consult their lawyers, plan their defence? Did they go to the press? Try to get some media coverage? Did they go straight back to the temple gate and preach? No. They went to their people, they went to their church. They told them what had happened, so they gathered as a group. And then the church, as one, prayed. In unity, one corporate prayer. What an incredible model of fellowship that is. How many times do we face challenges and our first thought is to deal with ourselves? And actually, Peter and John is a really good example for us to follow. So it's time to prepare itself. It starts by focusing on the sovereign Lord, the highest and unparalleled authority. The Greek word used is the word despotes, where we get the word despot. It's used in the sense of being all powerful, being unrivaled. And this is compared with David and the believers, who are described multiple times as being servants or slaves, the exact opposite word. And then to Jesus, who is described as the holy servant. The very start of this prayer, the grounding, the basis on which the prayer comes, is establishes God's supreme position and everything else is based on that. The prayer describes the nature of God. John Stott brings out three distinctive aspects. Number one, God is a God of creation. He made the heavens and the earth, he made everything in it. All of us, everything we have is his. That's the start point. Number two, he's the God of revelation. He spoke by the Holy Spirit to David, he inspired Psalm 2, which is quoted. He recognises that the world would oppose the anointed of God, the Messiah, so the believers recognise that they're not, the believers are not surprised about this persecution. It's been, it's been foretold that we would be persecuted, that our message would not be welcomed. So two, God of revelation. Three, he's the God of history. His plans are predetermined and true. Even Pontius Pilate, even Herod, who persecuted and killed Jesus, had done so according to God's plan. They crucified the Lord, but it was not by human hand, but by sovereign Lord's hand, his will, that Jesus took our place on that cross. That's who God is. He's a God of creation, revelation, and history. And only after recognising who God is, 
putting everything in that eternal context and the believers move on to their petitions, their requests. The whole prayer is really short. It's about 140 words in the English translation. Two thirds of it are recognizing who God is, reflecting on his nature, acknowledging that everything is in his hands and everything is according to his plans. Only the last third will they move on to asking for anything, petition. Mark prayers, mirror that? Or do we dwell on what we want and what we need? Do our lives mirror that? Well then, what then do they pray for? So number one, they pray for the Lord to consider the threats faced by the early church. They're not praying for peace, they're not praying for safety. They're not asking for some angelic army to come and to their defence or the wrath of God to fall on their enemies. They're not asking for lightning to strike the Sanhedrin. All of which would be, frankly, perfectly understandable in that situation. That would be the human response. But instead, they simply ask the Lord to remember their position. Just remember it. Secondly, they pray for boldness, poesia. They pray to be able to speak confidently. This is an ancient Greek term. This is, uh, comes from uh, ancient philosophies. It comes from the days of Socrates, so centuries it was understood in like a political sense, the ability to stand up and speak boldly about anything. The freedom wasn't universal. Members of the public took great risks in speaking with Parisia. It was only, it was only like the senators that were allowed to do this, a bit like our, our parliamentary privilege at the moment. For normal people, Parisia comes with a cost. The French philosopher Michel Foucault defined Parisia as this. A speaker expresses his personal relationship to truth and risks his life because he recognises that truth-telling is a duty to improve or help others. In Parisia, the speaker used his freedom and chooses frankness instead of persuasion. He chooses truth instead of falsehood or silence chooses the risk of death instead of life and security, criticism instead of flattery, and moral duty instead of self-interest. That's what it means, boldness. Mm. When Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin, they spoke the truth with frankness. They risked death, they risked criticism. It was their duty to speak. They were ordered to stop speaking, and they couldn't and they wouldn't comply can't stop speaking about Jesus. And yet, even despite this, what is the thing they ask for in their prayer? They ask for more boldness, more opportunities, more courage to share, more insights, more wisdom to know what to say, more. They've demonstrated more boldness than I've ever shown. And what is the person they pray for? More, more boldness here. Mm -hmm.
The third thing they asked for in the prayer was that the Lord would stretch out his hand and perform miracles in and through the name of Jesus Christ. They're asking for more, not for their benefit, so that God's glory would be widely known and that all would experience his mercy. They'd seen what happened with the crippled beggar, whose life had been transformed, but that was just the tip of the iceberg, and the crowds cheered and believed. The petition is not for anything It isn't a personal gain. They're not asking for their own safety or security. Their prayer is so that they can speak in the name and with the authority of Jesus. The prayer is that God can use them to fulfill his plans. They want to please God regardless of the the struggles they face, the persecution and the opposition. The final part of this passage today records what happens next. The earth shook. They stood steadfast. They were filled again with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They preached the word with boldness. They went on and performed miracles, and the kingdom expanded. And the church group. Prayer works. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens, the earth and the sea and everything in them. You know all that was and all that will be. You've decided beforehand what shall happen. We take great strength from your scripture and your promises that when we gather you're there with us. We take such confidence when we read that you're with us, because who can stand against us, Lord? And we set our eyes on you, Lord. We again commit ourselves to you. We know that we fall short and we stumble and we're sorry and repent, Lord. We pray that through your grace you will accept us as your servants so that we might be instruments of and for your kingdom. Lord, use us, equip us, give us confidence to speak boldly with frankness about the gospel. Everything is your lane, Lord. Lord, we ask that you will stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders so that all peoples will recognise and praise your name. We ask this in the name and authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Mm. Amen. Amen.